Okay, how was you guys Christmas? Good? Good, all right. Ah, sick. Was that a good sick or a bad sick? Bad sick, okay. Anyone have good sick? Sick! Yeah, Christmas, Christmas is a whole mix, and I think everyone recognizes that it's on. Everybody's off, so it's got to be on. Shopping and movies and, and bottom line and all of this. And as anybody, anybody knows who, who lives anywhere near Century Cineplex in Daly City, it's just all the movie releases come out. I mean, it's, they're, they're looking ahead to Oscar. They're really the bottom line's money, and they know everybody's spending money like there's no, no tomorrow anyway, so we're going to release all our movies that, that the spending can continue. You. And um, there we go, Christmas present. Has anybody seen this movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? You saw it? Any good? How did it end? No, 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 no I'm just, just messing with um, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. This is, uh, it, it was actually a book written in 1939 by James Thurber. Just hilarious guy. Recommend everything he's ever written. But uh, it was made in uh, 47. I think Danny Kaye did a movie that most older generation would be familiar with. And recently, Ben Stiller has reprised the role of Walter Mitty, uh, who works sort of as an every, every person. Um, and his life's really insignificant. He wouldn't be noticed by, by anyone or anything. But what he is known for is the ability to check out at any moment and go off to this wonderful land of adventure in his mind. His current life, the limitations, the struggles, just what didn't happen, where he finds himself, the cul-de-sac or dead end that is his life and everything about it. I mean, there's not much he can do to change that. But what he does is he just, he lives the, the life that he wishes he could be living of an adventure, an astronaut, fireman, explorer, all that, um, just in between all of his interactions with the rest of life. Now, now the movie was, was a fair uh, amount different than the book, and I think the, the producers recognize the punchline, life is worth living or life is for living, um, it was the resonance that we all, that we all recognize. You see, this is, um, I think most of us tend to be closet Walter Mitty's in, in one sense or another. Because this is a human tendency. We have our own life that we live, our own limitations, what we do, bottom line. We have all the labels that the world and those close to us put upon us. And there's not a whole lot we can go beyond that. Now, we, we got game. We, we can talk it out a bit further that we're, we're this or we're that. Or, 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 you know, this is just human nature. We have this kind of this bubble around us. And, and this is what's, what's going on. But... What happens is that, that when we think about the, the, what we'd rather be doing or who we'd rather be or what we'd rather be known by or famous for or, or whatever, whatever it tends to be, we're no longer dealing with a life that could ever possibly exist at all. That, that we're not comparing that, well, gee, if I had only made this choice 20 years ago instead of this choice, my life could have been this, but now I find it's this. And if you take any choice that we've made in life, be it relationally, be it vocationally, be it just anything at all, we could always go back to this break point of, gee, I wonder what would have happened if I had done this instead. Or more to the point, I don't really like how things have played out because of these choices, and so what if... 
It was a totally different life. And we spend so much uh, bandwidth, we spend so much time and energy, I think, imagining or holding up as a template um, the idealized life or the perfect life or the heroic life or the glamorous life, the enviable life. And it's so conflated with so many other expectations, many of them from the movies, many of them from growing up, many of them just from our peers and friends and all of this. This is what the life that you should be living should be filled with. This is what it should entail. You should be this kind of person, but nobody is. And so there's this false template that we hold up. But where it gets really weird is when we do this with our faith and we do it with our relationships. So you've heard of the, the, the statement, um, the truth is stranger than fiction. In other words, uh, this is where the Internet basically became the Internet um, with, with viral stories and then, then um, videos and vines and all sorts of things where you'd say, I can't believe that happened. Look at this person doing this. Can you believe this story? Because the truth is stranger than fiction. You couldn't make this up. Life is amazing. Well, there's a spin on that. The truth is a stranger to fiction and that I think you're either we, we get it. You're telling the truth or you're, you're a bold-faced liar, right? One of the two. I, 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 I pledge to speak the truth, most of the truth, uh, only the convenient truth and anything else I, I choose not to share. You, you, nobody gets away with that in court. So it's either all true or it all isn't. But what happens, I think, is we have the truth of our, the lives that we live and then we have this template, the what if, the, the idealization of I'm frustrated, it isn't working out, I don't like it now. And the alternative is this perfect idealization. And so real life, whatever that is, it doesn't matter how good it is, it doesn't matter how right it is, it doesn't matter how satisfying it is, it's, it's going to be as good as it gets because it's been so devaluated in our minds because we have this perfect thing. The problem is this perfect thing cannot, never will, does not exist and is an enemy actually to our own lives, to what God wants to do in it. And it forces us to be stuck and, and to be resentful. And so this sense of this, this Walter Mitty-esque way of dealing with life or dealing with faith or dealing with regret, although it's a standard human characteristic, make a whole movie on it. We get it. Um, the truth really has nothing to do with these, these templates that we have. Going to be looking in Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 8. And going to set this up a bit. Now, the Philippians, this, this was the first church that was ever planted in Europe. Okay, the gospel had been going out. Jesus had, had, had ascended to heaven, given his marching orders to his disciples. They're, they're hooking and jabbing in Jerusalem. A persecution breaks out. Gospels going all over the Hebrew-speaking world. Um, one missionary journey, um, Paul's reporting that gospel's going to the Gentiles. Church doesn't know what to do with it. Things are expanding. Thousands more coming to faith. It's exciting times. Second missionary journey. And they're anxious to preach the gospel and it said this is Acts 16 the Holy Spirit would not let them preach Christ they were people that didn't know God all around them and it said the Holy Spirit would not let them share the good news with them at all God had other people to do that. And if, and they were trying to make a, a left-hand turn and go to India. They, they'd come right up to the Black Sea, and there's this one highway between Rome and going to the trade routes to the east. There's one road. Now, when we're going somewhere, shortest distance between any two points is what? Shortcut, right? What's the longest distance between any two points? Shortcut. Yeah, um, but... but despite our, our ill-fated navigation attempts, we walk where we want to. We go where we want to. Oh, I can make it. Oh, I can fit through those cars. We don't get that in the ancient world. There's one road only. 
You're either on the road or you're not going anywhere because you'll be attacked by animals, you'll be mauled, you'll be, you know, bandits, there's all sorts of stuff. So they were trying to go to Europe. The Holy Spirit said, no, I've got different plans for you. They had this vision of this, this Macedonian dude saying, hey guys, come over here. Most people think it was probably Luke who we read about because that's the first person they meet. They cross into Europe, meet Luke. They go to this Roman garrison. And so they had been, hey, there's a synagogue, there's Jews, it's our people, we can talk. And now they're not in Kansas anymore. So they're in this strange land with strange people, all these burly Roman guys. They're, they can't even find 10 Jewish guys. There's no synagogue. And they get arrested for being Jews, driving while Jewish. Um, so there's ethnic profiling going on. Um, it was anti-Semitism. They're thrown in prison. And this is where Paul finds himself planting the first church in Europe. God was doing something weird. He wasn't going to let us preach the gospel. Okay, what's going on? There's a vision. Go here. Okay, we went there. Um, go to this place. Start sharing the gospel. They were obedient. And then they're beaten and thrown in prison without a trial. They're praising God. There's an earthquake. The jailer comes to the Lord. And so there was just some strange stuff going on with the Philippian church. It, it did not fit any of the categories that Paul had. And it was this beautiful relationship where you had this entrepreneurial kind of a Melissa Meyer kind of CEO. Uh, Lydia from Thyatira had this uh, purple dye market going on, locked it up, very wealthy merchant. She was one of the founders of the church. And so all the categories we had of appoint elders and Jewish men, and here's a synagogue, and going from Jew to Gentile, all out the window when we come to Europe. This is the Philippian church. You look at all the letters of Paul, and it's basically the problem's Bill, and that's why I'm writing this letter. Bill did this. Bill didn't do that. This is how you deal with Bill. Bill's an idiot. you got to put up with Bill. My name's Bill, by the way. Um, and so the reason we have all the, the letters from Paul is dealing with people like me, who are still works in progress and still not getting it right. And how do we deal when, when people mess up? But but the letter to the Philippians is just one of passion. They're the ones that they were poor, but they'd scrabble their money together and just travel 2,000 miles so, to, to help Paul out. It was this beautiful relationship. So at the end of Paul's life, he's in prison, 35 years of ministry, hard scrabble, and, and Paul's just at the end of his life on fire. It is worth it. This is the life that of substance. This is the life of power, life of passion. Looking back at all the choices, could have, would have, should have, doesn't matter for Paul. And he wants to pass this on to the Philippian church. And so he's saying, guys, from the day one, when we first met, remember, it was that earthquake, it was crazy, that psycho jailer guy that terrorized the whole city comes to Jesus. He's the sweetest guy now. He's a deacon. Remember the stuff that God was doing? Every time I was with you, every time we broke bread, every prayer we had, it was how do we live a life above circumstances? This is a horrible place to live, Philippi. So it's a Roman garrison. There's no strip malls. There's no soft soap. I mean, this is just a brutal, brutal uh, place with brutal people doing brutal things. This is where that slave girl was possessed by the demon. I mean, it was just exploitation, trafficking, the, the worst place. And Paul's saying to the Philippians, but God in you has made all the difference in the world. It is on. It is the love. It, it, is, it, it is passion. And people see that. And so I want to remind you, how do you keep living above circumstances? How do you not check out when life gets too hard or too painful or you're too big of a dork or it's too overwhelming where we become Walter Mitty spiritually? And it's just, oh, this is the ideal church. This is the ideal relationship. This is the ideal friendship or whatever. And we stop contending and we stop growing. Because other churches were doing that. Um, Corinth. 
They were all supernatural Walter Mitty's. They were all sitting there. We got the gifts, and we're just going to manifest. Look how cool I am. And it's just Walter Mitty fa- fantasies of, hey, the preacher's preaching, but I'm going to leap up, and I'm going to give the message. And, and the healers are healing, but I'm going to come in, woo, and I'm going to heal. And, and it was these fantasies of how can I show people how awesome and hardcore my vibrant life is because the life that I know I live is not that at all. The Philippians, they were living it. They were living the dream, hard scrabble life, uh, not a whole lot, uh, lots of reasons to check out, but they didn't. And so Paul picks up this thing and he continues to encourage them. Finally, why does he say finally? Because he's in prison and he's about to be executed and he knows it and he's laying out. Guys, I want you to know this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. You know what the word whatever means in Greek? Whatever, anything, everything. If there's anything, anything, if there's one thing that falls in one of these categories, it's good. It's included. It's, it's cool. It doesn't matter. Whatever is noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything excellent, anything praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, now what's what's strange with this, he doesn't say think on these things, because this would be the stupidest um, exhortation we have in scripture. Hey guys, think good thoughts, not bad thoughts. All right, that's going to help you out, right? So you good with Christ, you're going to contend for the gospel the rest of life, and that's all you need? Think happy thoughts? Don't worry, be happy. Is that, is it Bobby McFerrin? Is that all Paul's channeling here? I don't think so, because the, it's, it's, there could have been a better translation. It doesn't say think on these things or think about these things. I'm going to think noble thoughts, whatever that means. How do you think noble thoughts? Um, it's hold these up as a template to all of your life. In other words, take an aspect of your life. Where are you struggling? Where are you pumped? Where whatever? Take an aspect of your life and hold it up. And he's saying there's a horse sense. There's a common sense. It's not that only Christians can figure this out. All of humans have figured out what is good. We never get there. What is right? We never fully achieve it. What is admirable? We're all hypocrites and we recognize this is good. I can't do it, but I should. And so there's a sense of saying there's a way we all know that life works. Hold up your Christian life. Hold up your relationships as a template. In other words, compare, reckon. Does your life compare to these things or not? In other words, does it pass the pagan test? People who have no hope in Christ whatsoever, are you at least better off in your hope than them? Because if Christ is real, if Christ is transforming your heart, if he's changing your relationships, then there should be a lot of right and noble and good and pure and stuff that other people would say that we could hold our life up to. Now, we're not comparing along the same value. It's not bottom line and cash value or anything like that. But in terms of a life that fits and is good, it's saying compare this. How many people have been hiking... Um, I, Probably would work up the top of Mount Tam, but you've been up um, midday and you look up and it's just the deepest blue sky you've ever seen. Anybody? Nobody has been hiking and looked up at the sky. Really. Seriously, we're going to have service out on the plaza next week because you've got to get outside, vitamin D or something. You're scaring me. You go out hiking. You look up. Sometimes you see all these, these, these dots and stuff up ahead. You notice that? Do you know what that is? You're seeing the white blood cells going through your eyes. 
You see, because when it's super deep blue, that filters out a lot of the color that gets in the way that your blood color, I know red and green are opposites. It works out, trust me. But it filters out all the blood, so you can't see the red blood cells, you only see the white blood cells just at the top of your eyes. And so it filters out all the stuff that prevents you from seeing, you know, just the white, and you're actually seeing your own white blood cells going, going through your eyes. Pretty freaky, huh? Something to think about next time you're trying to be healthy. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying like with a blue filter, take an excellent filter, a noble filter, an admirable filter, and hold it up so it can screen out everything that's not that in your life, or that is that in your life. And what are the things that stick out? What are the things that are not that? And it's not saying you have to have a PhD in Bible to know what God requires of you. It's pretty simple. What is good? What is right? What have you required, God? To love mercy, to walk humbly, and to do justice. Pretty simple. Or um, love God and love others. Really, Jesus breaks it down pretty easily. But, but what happens is we have this idealization where we don't see these things. Or we say, okay, this is my life now, but if I just do this one thing, win the lottery, finish this school, get this person, whatever it is, if I just do the one other thing, then it's all going to come together and we've Walter Mitty and we've checked out and now there isn't a real person that God can work with. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. This is when they just gave him a sack of money and he's getting back to him finally years later. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. Okay, where's Paul writing when he writes, I am not in need? In prison. How many people have been in prison? Are you in need in prison? Yes, you've got a few needs in prison. You've got a lot of needs in prison. But Paul's saying, guys, look, you know, the, 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 the bands are cutting into my ankles as I'm writing this. But that's not what I'm focused on here. I have learned to be content, to be satisfied, to be whole, to not need anything, to not be in a rush, to be able to be fully present. I am complete right here, right now, with all the lacks, with all the unfinished stuff, because it is enough right now. What is the secret of contentment? Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Okay, this guy was shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned. This guy feasted with kings and, and it, was in, it was in palaces. I mean, it was both, both ends of this. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, one of the things that, uh, that people have a hard time, a lot of commentators have a hard time, that list I just read you, the last two words deliberately Paul chose are purely secular. You will not find them in any Christian literature. Praiseworthy, admirable. In other words, he's saying, um, praiseworthy, admirable, all of these things that you get, he ties it in with this one, whatever you've received from me formally, okay, here's a Bible lesson, or whatever you've seen in me. This is how I deal with people. Whatever you've seen in me that has to do with Christ, follow me. Two times Paul tells Timothy, and he's, he, or excuse me, Timothy, he's writing to another pastor. Um, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, you're going to see things in me that are not of Christ. Forget those, okay? I'm, I'm still working on those. But everything you see, when you see me, you see Christ. When you hear me, you hear Christ. Do those things. Put them into practice. Repeat them. Learning is pretty simple, right? Monkey see, monkey do. And Paul is saying this. He's not saying, um, and I want to be clear of this, he's not saying, think about what you saw me do. 
He's not saying, think about what a great example that was. Think about how you might do this one day. He's saying, simply, I know you're not going to do it right, but whatever you see that is of Christ, put it into practice. Do it. Don't think about it. Don't fantasize about it. Don't think about the idealized life. Don't stop doing what you're doing now. Just simply do it. There's an immediate. There's a, there's a face down in this and not pulling up. And, and because those last two words were secular, he said, look, if you're going to get funky about this, just... Use Christ as the filter. But the point is you have to be doing, 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 doing always. So that thought now flows into this next thing when he's talking about the secret of contentment. Because he's not saying that when situations are really good, I'm all in and it's great and I'm just rejoicing and this is wonderful. But when things are difficult, I'm hanging in there and I'm just waiting for it to change so, so it can be a better situation. He's saying because it is see and do, see and do, see and do, repeat, my secret to contentment is especially when it's difficult, a situation I would not want to remain in. There is a tension. There's something that's not resolved. There's unfinished. There's sin. There's a problem. This is all the more we need to see and do, see and do, see and do. What of Christ have we seen others? How have they blessed us? How have they blessed us with their words, with their prayers, with their unexpected kindness, with their grace? See and and do see and do how have we received forgiveness from others how has that set us free see and do that 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 is all the more reason it, it's being the opposite of walter mitty rather than checking out it it is it is immediate but here we get to the most misquoted verse in one of the most misquoted verses in all of scripture i can do all things through christ who strengthens me yes or no Probably need to qualify that a bit. Can I, can I lie through Christ who strengthens me? God, I only have a fib now, and it's pretty transparent. I'm going to get called out. What I need is a colossal lie. One Jesus that is so diabolically complex and has so many alibis, I'll never be found out. Jesus, help me to lie. So, so there's some things that we can't do in the power of Christ, right? God, God does not lie himself. Um, can I fly? Probably not. Gravity is still in effect. And, and we get this. We get this. But, but although we get all things doesn't mean all things, we blow right through that and we think it means all things. Because what tends to happen with this verse, this is our lottery ticket. It is true, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As soon as I dial in, as soon as I believe, as soon as I'm all there, all I got to just, I'm, I'm there, and it'll happen. But first, I got to get out of this relationship I'm in. That's just not working, and it's just not me, and it's just so hard. But first, if my boss, oh, Jordan, right? My boss was just different. Gosh, ah, um, my family, you just don't care. Wherever we are, you see, we tend to think, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me once this resolves. It's either true in the situation or it's not true at all. Has God called you to get out of the situation? Has God called you to do X, Y, or Z? Or has God placed you in the situation for a purpose which we probably don't fully understand? See, that's, that's where Paul understood the secret of contentment. Wherever you go, there you are. Okay, here, here's an example. When people are in difficulty with relationship, and, and you get this a lot in marital counseling, it's this sense of, it is, I've tried everything. The person doesn't understand me. Um, the thing, there's damage. There's damage both ways, and that happens. But the idealization is, if I was with someone else, it wouldn't be this way. 
It would be wonderful. It would be perfect. The reason people have affairs, it's this thing. There's this, this sense of it's going to be so different. Um, my next relationship, I've learned not to do this. Um, the sad news is this. The common denominator in all your broken relationships is you. The common denominator in all my broken relationships is me. And what we don't factor, and what Walter Mitty failed to factor, is you're the same person even with different circumstances. I might be with a different person in a relationship, but I'm the same person. The same hurts, the same wounds, the same limitations, the same sin, and I'll be reacting the same way, responding the same way. And it's only in being known and in intimacy and in a situation and commitment, it's only with a commitment to be, to see and do and to be right there, that is where change and hope and beyond contentment actually happens. Anything short of that is not going in that direction at all. Anything short of being fully committed and engaged and working it through and where you are lies outside of this verse. That's why I love this translation, and I think it's a much better one. I can do all this. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me, I can be content, I can be in need, I can be well-fed, I can be hungry, I can be in, in want, I can be totally satisfied. I can do all of these things through Christ who strengthens me. God has called me to do this, to love this person, to serve faithfully here, to be a father, to be a husband, to, to, to be a, a servant, to be a minister. God's called me to do these very things, but where he meets me is in here, is in the immediate, not in the next thing. It's not the next relationship. It's not the next church. It's not the next friendships. It's not the next anything. It's not this Walter Mitty of, oh, if I didn't do this or if only the situation was better, it would be this. This literally is as good as it gets. And one of the things that comes out in, in marriage counseling is this. No matter how difficult or contentious or hopeless it might be at present, because it is real, because this is where God is, and because there's only one you and one God and one way he's determined to work, your present relationship is your very best chance at contentment in relationships. You, you are hindering yourself going to the next one. We could say the same thing about work. We could say the same thing about friendship. We, we could say the same thing about church. You know, warning bells go off when, when, when people come to church and they're talking about um, how things still haven't been resolved two, three churches ago. You know, I, I keep leaving for the same reason. Well, I'm sure there are reasons, but there's a common denominator as well. And I recognize it because the common denominator is me. We compare our present circumstances and lives not against another real life or not even against another real possible life, but against a fantasy that cannot ever, ever happen. And it robs us of joy. It robs us of peace. It robs us of hope. It robs us of everything that we should and could be using to build into the life where God has placed us. See, God in his wisdom is at work in the core areas of a life where we need to grow and want to grow. What we feel as we, ah, oh man, I can't believe, I just, <laughs> I just smashed my foot yesterday and I was using this as an example and I used the wrong foot. Uh, um, that example is a little more real than I thought it would be. Um, I'm sorry, I just had a white flash of pain. I lost my, what was I just talking about? No, seriously, what was I just talking about? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Tell him the sermon's over. He won't know the difference. It's over. No, you're just wrapping up. Get out. Get out. Um, robbing joy. Thank you. Um, they, 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 yeah. We'll move on. I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. Rather than being this frustrating, slippery eel that we just can't seem to get our arms around. I'm trying to do this, and, and, and where's the strength of God? I'm so frustrated here. I so don't want to be here. I'm trying, God. What, what? And it's this frustrating thing. I see this as liberating. Because one, it gives me the freedom to acknowledge God has placed me in my life. God has placed the people in my life. God has arranged the circumstances in my life for purposes far more than just me existing and being a cog in a machine. That God is working at core stuff in my heart. I'm feeling the symptom... <laughs> I'm feeling the symptom of where I react and what's not right and what I want to change. But that may or might not not be the core problem. The core problem is being addressed by the very circumstances that God has arranged. So when I check out Walter Mitty-like, when I put it on hold and I freeze it and I just say, well, this is how I would have played it, it, it flatlines. There's no benefit. There's no change. God is not real because I am not real. But when we recognize God's wisdom, and this is where he has me, not just so I can get through this thing, not just so I can go and and it's another day or I can get through this problem, but so the very core things that God wants to work in me and bring about, where he's lavishing his glory upon me, I'm able to receive it and reflect it and be a player. The only way that's going to happen is in the current circumstances and the current life. And it may be want and it may be plenty. It may be going with less. It may be going with more. And all of those have purposes. Hardship and difficulty test character. Ease and lots of choices test priorities. And we need to hone our priorities and we need to hone our character. And there's different seasons for doing both. But the only place that those happen are in the exact immediate moment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And most of that strength goes into keeping me in that situation. And keeping me from hitting the eject button. Colossians 1, 9 to 14, one of the most awesome prayers in scripture. And it ends with Paul piling up words where we get dynamite. The powerful, powerful power of his mighty power and might. English translators are trying to use different words. Like, ah. um, but the point he's making, the resurrection power of God that raised Christ from the dead. The, the power of God that flung stars into space that made matter. That separated light from darkness. The power of God. Paul is saying in this prayer that he's praying of how to live the Christian life. He ends saying that the powerful power of the resurrection, creative power of our God would be fully available to where you most need it. And you most need it for witnessing, miracles, faith, steadfastness, and long-suffering. God's saying where you need it is hanging in there, is not being a Walter Mitty, is not running, is not checking out, is not enduring, is not just shutting down, but seeing and doing, being present, being faithful, being engaged, knowing this is plan A, that there isn't a Walter Mitty adventure waiting for us out there with a different person, a different church, a different job, a different family, different circumstance, but in God's genius, in his sublime grace, and in his mercy, he's placed each of us where we are given us graciously of his spirit to enable us to remain where we are, to work through the situations that we have, to grow in the most meaningful ways. Paul was in prison. Paul had lived both ends of this. And he could say, this truly is the way, because it's not in having want or having having more than anything. I had the fattest Christmas ever, and I know it's going to go away. And, And Paul isn't like holding on to it and stuffing his stocking and, you know, Not at all. He's saying, I can be content here because I can let it go. I can be content there because I can let it go because I know who's holding me.
It gives us permission that all truth is God's truth wherever it is found. That it isn't this division between the secular and the sacred, between I'm doing something for God and it counts, and I'm just you know, shopping for orange juice, and it doesn't. That everything becomes sacred. Everything becomes imbued with God. Everything holds together with how we're developing and how Christ can be seen us in us in all things. You see, God has this amazing amount of patience where real life happens. It takes time. It takes season. It takes relationship. It takes time to cook the turkey, right? We're not done yet, spiritually. And God's okay with that. I mean, a God that would just cool his heels for 15 billion years waiting for stuff to fling together so we could have a stage upon which we could do this thing. I think he's got all the patience for where he's ultimately leading us in circumstances that need to be worked through. And it gives me agency in all things. So often I would say, oh, my hands are tied or this is just a situation or I'm painted in a corner and I'll just, I'll just get through this and I'll try again next time. But no matter what the circumstances are, it gives me agency. I have a choice. I have a response. I have a way of glorifying God. I have a way of growing and strengthening. I have a way to be an answer to others' prayers. Agency in all of this rather than simply this passive resignation of life. What was the difference between the Judas and the Peter? What was the difference between a Saul and a David? It was this, that one of them realized they were fully present in their life, they were fully responsible for their life, they were fully intentional in their life. And although they didn't do it perfectly, they did it passionately, David, Peter, loved God with whole heart. Where there was a Judas and where there was a Saul, it was a relationship of convenience. It was a relationship of circumstance. This is how it played out. They agreed with these facts. They, they, they thought they were good. They attended to them. They worked on their Christian life. But when situations got too difficult, they punched out. They, they never had that immediacy. It was somebody else's problem. It was passive. It was out there. And so what Paul has discovered, what Paul has lived through, why Christ was so beautiful to people was that Paul could, um, in, in, in filtering life, he, he was continually working on all the things that were not of Christ. And he didn't do it in the bold sermons. He didn't do it in the massive church plants. He didn't do it in the, the proclamation before Caesar. He did it in the day-to-day and that being in want and being in need and the difficult situations that he tried to weasel out of, he seized them. See, much of my life I've been a Jacob, the grabber, right? Because that's my sinful heart. I've been grabbing. And the beautiful thing with God when he got a hold of Jacob and they had that wrestling match, he renames him. Either the one who contends with God or the God who patiently puts up with you. It's a double meaning in Hebrew. It's pretty cool. I think both are true, right? Hey, I'm the one that contends with God. Eh, There's another side to this. God's kind of, you know, letting you hold on to him. Uh, But that relationship is one that I want to characterize me. That at the end of the day, the very thing that I would want to run away from, be it monotony, be it unfinished business, be it too clear a look at my own uh, unfinished heart, be it... um, regrets, be it things that I cannot change. As much as my tendency is to do a Jacob and just to get out of there feeling attacked, when I realize it's God all along for my good, then as Jacob, I want to hold on to the very thing that I would run away from, from the unpleasant circumstance, from the difficulty in relationship, from trying to wrangle this restless heart, from whatever it is. And now it is the freedom is it's no longer me having to do this, but I can allow the power of Christ 
And I believe that's what this verse is talking about here. That in whatever situation we find ourselves, recognize it's intentional, it's deliberate of God. It may not be good, it may not be right, it may not be pleasant, but it is unto purposes of God far beyond that. And it's that secret of contentment, of being fully present and engaging, is where God does his absolute, very best work, and what I would argue God does most of his work with us. This gives me great hope, because it doesn't matter how good or bad your Christmas was, in a sense, because Christmas is already over, it's done. 360, how many shopping days? 368 shopping days, 363, whatever, to Christmas. Um, yeah, my math skills are horrible, that's why I'm a theologian. 361. We don't have to hold out for the event. We don't have to hold out for the moment. We don't have to hold out for the experience. But where we wake up every day recognizing where God does his ultimate best work. It's immediate. It's intentional. It is the fullness that God has for us, the fullness where we change, and it's in the very mundane. Here's the, the, the reality. We actually all are Walter Mitty, but it just hasn't fully been revealed the life that we've led that has been that heroic, that has been that amazing, that has been that substantive. But heaven, you know one of the reasons we've got eternity in heaven? Because we've got a lot of catching up to do with the rest of the body of Christ, that we will see the Walter Mitty-esque lives where lion's mouths were shut, armies were put to flight. God was glorified. People received back uh, from, from prison and from death that the gospel was preached. This is Hebrews 11, by the way. That these lives, and you're going, that's not my life. And God's saying, it's absolutely your life. But you were so busy living it for me, you didn't even realize it. You were so busy being in the here now and being in the present. You were so busy allowing the supernatural power of God not to propel you up to the mountaintop where people could see you or you would have a better vantage point, but allowing the power of God to pull you along one more step, one more word, one more interaction because it's real, because it's glorious, because it's substantive. Peter and, and Judas, David and Saul. And we see here a man of passion, a man who's lived it out, and a man whose uh, you know, bandoliers are cutting into his wrists and arms as he's writing this. And, and, and you could just see the joy coming off the page. Because he's saying, this doesn't matter, my circumstances. It really, literally, if I'm released tomorrow, or if, if I'm executed tomorrow, um, as, as Paul began this book, to live in is Christ, to die is gain. Paul did not discover living to live is Christ is um, ah. To live is Christ, or to die is gain. He didn't discover this in the mountaintop experiences, because fruit's grown in the valley. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you meet us where we actually live. And yes, we have awesome experiences that we can see the way ahead. We, we can be buoyed when we need it and, and bigger perspectives. So we thank you for the mountaintop experiences. But I thank you, God, that where our lives are, are not that. They're real. And we feel things and, and they hurt and there's limitations. And we're confronted with others' lives uh, and our own hollow hearts. But in that reality, God, you do your best work. Father God, let us hold our lives, your word, your truth, up to all that we know to be excellent and right and noble and pure and good and the way it should be. And if there's anything that is in the way, be it attitude, be it expectation, be it understanding, be it hurt or unforgiveness, that you would show, you would reveal.
I pray that you would use the very people you've placed in our life to bring these things to the surface as the rock tumbler to that there would be a greater polish and a greater shine and that you would give us the willingness and the realization to be open-handed with you. Father, for those that need to know you as the God of grace who perhaps have, have seen life as exacting and cruel, may they know your grace, your patience, your mercy, your forgiveness, your love. For those who feel life is just rattling around and there's no direction or purpose, may your truth, may your conviction seize and captivate, Father. And for all of us that we wouldn't realize that we've gotten off track or we're living plan B, maybe it feels that way. But exactly where we are, what we're confronted with, where we're stuck, where there's wide open horizon in front of us, this is of you. This is for your purposes. This is part of the very prayers that we pray to you that you would answer. Give us free reign in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you stand with us, we're going to sing one last song this morning.
able that we can be not just content, not just fully satisfied, but more than conquerors in any situation. That's not to say there won't be effort and won't be difficulty and not a lot of unknown and being brought to our knees, but God is able. God is faithful. Our greatest need being fully present where we are right now. He desires. He delights. He enables us. He releases us to be fully free in our own lives. And that is tremendous news. It's what we're about here, the person of Christ and and being transformed inside out. If there's anything that you would like to continue working through with God in prayer, I'd like to invite our prayer counselors forward. Going to spend as much time as you'd like uh, meeting with you right now. If you'd like to find out more how to get plugged in, just next steps in the church through there, through those doors on couches. People who'd love to talk with you, the living room. And again, if you were visiting us, uh, we would like to uh, just say hi and give you a gift. Bless you for being here. Thank you for worshiping together with us today. Thank you for focusing your heart and mind on Christ. And uh, it is my prayer that this week would be full of opportunities in the monotonous, in the common, in the day-to-day, in the typical, where God would overwhelm and surprise us where he's doing his best work. Go to do and to be his will and his peace. We'll see you next week. God bless.